I'm curious to find out if any of you know this gentleman. Anybody? You do, okay. Um, probably because of you know, your dealings in the business world. His name's Simon Sinek, and uh, he's known because he studies human behavior and organizational behavior. If you don't know him specifically, maybe you've heard of one of his greatest accomplishments or works. It's known as the Golden Circle. And what he's done is he's studied what is it the motivation behind people's purchases or the, the decisions they make. What are, what are the motivations behind how organizations kind of uh, administer themselves and grow forward? And why are some organizations successful and others are not? And it gets into not just the personality of those groups, but, but some of the wiring as well. Simon is a, a motivational speaker. He's also an author. Uh, he's written at least five books that I know of, and the two most famous ones, these were top sellers, is Start With Why. Again, that's a professional organizational uh, type help book. And the other one, Leaders Eat Last, Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't. If you go on to read, he started this company known as the Optimism Company. And what happens is, is organizations, companies will contract with Simon, or he'll come in or send some of his, uh, uh, his other workers in to help grow leaders within that company so that they don't just go off the rails. If you will, the reason why I wanted you to understand and know about Simon is because in his work, he's uh, come to many discoveries and realizations of how uh, negativity not only uh, affects the way that we think, but how it holds us back so much in life. Let me give you an example of, of what Simon teaches a lot of these organizations and, and will prove helpful with today's lesson. The human brain cannot comprehend the negative. It is incapable. Yes, it's true. I'll give you an example. Okay, no, no, I'll give you an example. You don't have to believe me. I'll prove it. I'll prove it. Okay, the human brain cannot comprehend the negative. You ready? Don't think of an elephant. Oh. Yeah, I know. You can't, you can't tell the human brain not to do something, right? And so what happens is we very often reinforce things when we put things in the negative, right? I can't get apart. I can't get apart. I can't get apart, right? Or um, um, I can't do this versus I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing this, right? Um, and and it's, it's such a huge thing to, to convert things into the affirmative. You're supposed to do it with children as well. We're supposed to say, instead of saying to children, don't eat on the couch, we're supposed to say, eat at the table. Right? We tell people what we want them to do, not what, them, what we don't want to do. Pilots know this, right? It is well known in the pilot community that when you tell a pilot, don't hit the obstacle, they'll hit the obstacle. Because what they're doing is focusing on the obstacle. Skiers know this. If, if you ever seen skiers go through trees, do you know how they do that? It's very easy. It's actually surprisingly easy. If you go through trees on skis and you go, don't hit a tree, don't hit a tree, don't hit a tree, guess what you're watching? You're only looking at trees. All you're doing is seeing trees. You don't understand how anyone can ski with all these trees, right? As opposed to follow the snow, follow the path, follow the path. The only thing you see is the path. Skiers know this. If you say don't hit a tree, you'll hit a tree. You won't be able to find a path because all you see is millions of trees. If you say only follow the path, 
you, you actually don't see any trees. There's actually very sparse trees. There's plenty of path. There's plenty of snow. It's the same thing for you. If you focus on the obstacles, all you will see is obstacles. If you focus on the path through the trees, all you will see is path through the trees. It's your choice how you choose to perceive your own career. It's literally perspective. So when he said, don't think of an elephant, how many of you actually thought of an elephant? And Greg, you're a pilot, so is that true? Is that how they teach you guys to fly? Is instead of saying, don't hit the obstacle, it's look at the... I think he's talking about a ship pilot. Oh, okay. Uh, does, would that apply to airline or and flying airplanes, I think? Maybe that's what radar is for, huh? Okay. There's just something about the way the human brain is wired, and of course sin has taken it and twisted it uh, to be something that God never intended, but we, we tend to respond very poorly uh, to the negative. And, uh, and probably a life lesson I wish I had learned much earlier in my own life is it's much better to have that positive attitude. I, I gotta say, years ago as a pastor, if I had shown up and the AC wasn't working and half the circuits were blown, I would have been pretty ticked off and just everything would have been, oh boy. Now I kind of looked at it as an opportunity and challenge. Let, let, let's see how we can do it. And wouldn't you know, it really does fit in with today's lesson. Because we're going to go to the borders of the promised land the first time. And we're going to see that not only the nation of Israel let negativity rule their lives, but it had a, a very detrimental effect on Moses, their leader as well. A lot of times we look at Moses as one of the greatest faithful men of the Bible, and he truly was. Uh, but he had his flaws, and today's lesson will reveal one of those turning point flaws. So we're going to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, very first chapter, and this is what we read. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Now, you notice I've also got a second reference listed on the bottom underneath our lesson today because this account is actually recorded in two places in Scripture, here in Deuteronomy and then in the two chapters in the book of Numbers. And that immediately tells us there's a specific difference between the two accounts. While they record the same thing, they're recorded differently and for different purposes. Uh, Deuteronomy is actually more of a summary of what happened on the journey to the promised land. Moses is actually including that as part of his farewell speech or sermon to the nation of Israel. The next generation of Israel that was about ready to go in and take the promised land finally. And what he's doing is he's warning them not to make the same mistakes that their parents had made on the exodus and journey towards the promised land. So he only needs to briefly summarize things. It's kind of the after-the-fact review of what had happened. The book of Numbers is more from the perspective of as it happens or the play-by-play. -play. And it gives us so much more detail. It's as if as those things are happening, Moses is there writing them down. Of course, they're inspired by God, and so he could remember all the facts. But the reality is it's more in the moment what took place and why were the things happening that they were happening. This uh, difference is very important, not only for us to understand our lesson today, but it clears up some interesting details or sometimes things that people think are contradictions in God's word. I I'm pretty sure most of us are, are familiar with the 12 spies going into the land of Canaan, um, but I'd like to review that. And if it's been some time since you've read this account or you're not familiar with it, this is what Moses records in Deuteronomy as to what took place immediately after the spies returned. 
But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us up out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers, and that's a reference to the 10 unfaithful spies who brought back a bad report, our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who's going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. You went ahead of you, he went, who went ahead of you on your journey and fired by night and cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. So the return of the 12 spies, the report, 10 offer the bad report, 2, Caleb and Joshua offer a good report, and there's these mixed reviews, and most of the people of Israel simply refused to follow God's command to go in and take the land that he had promised them for so very long. Fear stood in the way of them accomplishing the goal, the entire reason for this journey. Uh, there's another part that comes after this I did include, but what actually happens is, is that the people threatened to choose new leaders who would replace Moses and Aaron, and those new leaders would be chosen to take them back to the land of Egypt. So you understand what these people are thinking is it was preferable to them to be slaves and servants of the Egyptians than to listen to God and go into this promised land, a land promised for generations, a land that God describes as flowing with milk and honey, this beautiful place. They refused to go in and take it because of fear. That's why we have the worship folder cover. Fear is the one thing that often stands between us and what we really want in life, what God wants us to have in life, the joys, the pleasures, the blessings. And oftentimes it's this negativity of fear that we let control and rule us. Now with this context in mind, it's much easier for us to dig into the lesson because almost immediately when you compare these accounts, this is where people scratch their head and go, wait, something's up here. Because in Deuteronomy, Moses implies that the idea for sending spies was from the people. But if you go to look at the account in Numbers, it actually records it as it's a command of the Lord given to Moses to send spies in the land. This is one of those areas in Scripture where non-Christians often will look at, and even some Christians, well, the Bible can't be God's word. There's this discrepancy. The question is, which one of these is right? It's a simple answer. They both are. And you have to understand the answer based on the differences of the book of Deuteronomy in the book of Numbers. Remember, Deuteronomy is only Moses trying to warn this next generation not to be foolish like their parents. So he doesn't need to hit on all of the details. He says, remember what happened. You guys wanted me to send spies, so I sent spies. What Numbers teaches us, giving us much more detail, is the idea did originate with the people, but God took this thing that came from a place of fear and sanctified it. He changed it into something useful and productive. And we'll see that very clearly in just a moment where God can take even some of our most foolish decisions, some of our fearful choices, and if we let him, he will reshape them into something that will serve us well in this life and serve us well as we journey towards the next life. Now, let me show you just how specifically we can see this thought evolving. And again, it goes back to the differences of the two explanations. Remember in Deuteronomy, basically Moses says, well, I, I chose 12 of you. 
That's all they needed to remember. In Numbers, the play-by-play, he's actually describing the choice of those 12. Not only does it give us the name of the 12 men who he sent in, it gives us their tribe, their clan, and their family. And for those people of the next generation, they would think of their grandpa or their uncle or their father who was chosen specifically by Moses to go in and take a look around in the land. And they might think to themselves, boy, we were so close. What was it about the previous generation that kept them from trusting God? And the question would be for them is, dare we make that same mistake? In fact, Numbers has so much detail. I included that last line. A lot of people will read through that list of names and they'll go, well, where's Joshua? He was one of the two faithful spies. He was only one of the two of that generation that eventually got to go into the promised land. And you'll see that Moses includes the detail of the name change from Hosea to Joshua, both meaning the Lord saves. It's the perfect name for the next leader of the people of Israel. And you're going, okay, uh, so far I, I get what you're saying, Pastor, but let me, prove, let, let me do a Simon. I'll, I'll prove it to you how the idea originated with the people and it came from fear and God took it and made it into something good. When Moses says, you asked me to send 12 men to spy, they use this Hebrew verb kafar. And, and it has a certain root meaning to it. Kafar means you go into a place to look around because you're searching out trouble. And the best analogy could be I have is, is at night, your children are going to bed, and before they all lay down and go to sleep, they want you to go check in the closet or under the bed, make sure there's no monsters there. They're kafaring, if you will. They're looking for the bad things and making sure everything's going to be okay. As opposed to the account in Numbers, where God takes this original idea that's born out of fear, and he transitions it into something good. The verb used there is tour. And basically what it describes at its root concept, concept is meandering through a place to find a good location in which you might set up shop. A place where you can do business. A place that you see as being prosperous so that you know your business will succeed. It, in many ways, it's kind of the same idea that you're looking around and searching out, but they come from two completely different places, two completely different motivations, and two completely different outcomes. There's something else, too, in the record. In Deuteronomy, the people say, we want you to send spies to make sure there's no bad things. So the end result is we can plan our own path, our own strategy into the land of Canaan and how we're going to take it. Whereas when the Lord says, no, I want you to tour, I want you to meander through the land, I want you to do it to see how good it is. In fact, Moses even encourages them to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And God's idea is, once the people see how beautiful this land is, they're going to want to go in and take it and make it their home. After all, I've been promising it to them for centuries, for generations. I want them to see how good of a father I am and what I have in store for them. The problem is, is that the fear of Israel kept them from crossing the border and taking this land. God says, you don't need to figure out your own strategy. You don't need to figure out your path. I said I'm going to give you this land, and that's what I'm going to do. You don't need to trust yourselves. You need to trust me. Now, hopefully you figured out the difference of how negative and positive are so far apart and how negativity affects so much of our thinking, and it can allow fear to control our lives and to keep us from doing the things that not only were we created to do, but God has gifted us and wired us to do in this life. 
We sometimes convince ourselves that, you know what, we're going to make our way through this world, we're going to put up with the garbage, we're going to deal with the problems, but it's all okay because someday we're going to cross the borders of the promised land into heaven. And while there's some truth to that, I don't know where we ever came up with this idea that God doesn't want to bless us here or doesn't want us to be happy here or he doesn't want us to enjoy our lives here. He's a gracious and merciful God. He created this world for us. And originally it was supposed to be our forever home. It was sin and man's decision that ruined all of that. But God is still the God of love. He wants us to excel in this life. He wants us to enjoy his blessings. We have to deal with sin. We have to deal with the troubles of a sinful world. But it comes down to this question, are we going to do that out of fear? Are we going to look at these as opportunities of faith? Maybe that's the best example. It won't be long and your children are going back to school. And as parents, you can encourage them or discourage them. Imagine sitting down with your fourth grader who's going into fifth grade and go, you know what? All of a sudden, next year's going to get a lot harder. You're moving up the scale. And I know fifth grade is, it's going to challenge you. So I don't know. You better work hard from day one or you might flunk. Nice encouragement. Or imagine that you sit down with your fourth grader and you go, next year's going to be exciting for you. It's going to offer all kinds of new opportunities. As you get older, you get to do more sports, maybe play in the band. I, I know who you are. I think, I think you're able to take this on. You know, apply yourself. But you can do this. We might think it's the same outcome, but it's not. One is filling your kid with fear. The other one is filling them with faith. And the self-assurance that blessed by God, there are things that they accomplish that maybe even they don't think or believe that they can accomplish. You see, Moses had allowed himself to be influenced by the people. I know it feels like a turning point for the nation of Israel, and in many ways it is, but it's more a turning point for Moses. The toxicity of these people's fear took its toll on Moses, so much so that when they come with this idea to send out 12 spies, to look around and make sure there's nothing bad. Moses says, I thought that was a good idea. It wasn't. He never took into consideration just how bad the fear was and how negative negativity affects us. It actually is a result of sin and colors just about everything we do in this life. A man-made climate change. COVID-19. Full-scale Russian invasion. Catastrophic climate change outcomes, including human extinction. We've all experienced it. That negative thought, situation that seems to stick with us even when good things happen. But why does this happen? The answer lies in our brain, and it's called negativity bias. Our brains are wired to pay more attention to negative information. This means that negative events and thoughts tend to leave stronger impression on us than positive ones. In today's world, we're constantly bombarded with negative information through the mainstream media as well as social media. These are intentionally designed to capture our attention. This often leads to distorted view of reality and us living in a constant state of stress and anxiety. But it's important to remember that we can change our brain's wiring. This is due to the phenomenon called neuroplasticity, which refers to our brain's ability to learn, change and adapt throughout our lifetime. By design, our brain tend to automate our thoughts and behaviors. Therefore, the thoughts you focus on most of the time have potential to either limit or enhance your experiences and outcomes. It means that by consistently directing our focus towards specific way of thinking, 
our brain can adapt and change the way we interpret the world over time. By consciously paying attention to positive events, practicing gratitude, and avoiding or at least limiting exposure to negativity, we can overcome negativity bias. I find that uh, in my own life experience that two of the greatest in, uh, creations of God are the human heart and the human mind. And of course, it seems like sometimes our best assets, sin uh, can take and twist against us to be some of our, our, our biggest enemies. Not only has God blessed us with the ability to change and adapt in a positive way, we don't have to let the world, if you will, influence as much as we do. I mean, you know bad news sells much better than good news, right? You've heard that phrase, blood sells, and so that's all you hear. Well, if that's all we're exposing ourselves, guess what that's going to do to our attitude and to the way we think? Why is it that a lie, we're told, travels around the world ten times faster than the truth? Because that's what sin does. That's what it accomplishes in our life. And it takes a real effort to fight against this negativity bias, these effects of sin. And I say that because of what happened next. Moses was influenced by the people. And, and, and I, I'm not ragging on Moses. Don't misunderstand. He had maybe one of the single most difficult jobs in the world, short of being the Savior himself. Constantly on this journey, people would complain and moan and groan, and every time he'd turn to the Lord, and the Lord had an answer. And you'd think Moses would have recollected all of those amazing miracles that he actually got to be a part of. And yet we find how this constant, surrounded by fear, just finally gets to him. And it has to do with, if we go back to the account in Numbers, the questions that he asks these 12 spies as he commissions them to go into the land. Some of them are good questions but some he has no business asking. So when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up to the, uh, through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was a season for the first ripe grapes. Some of those were excellent questions. I don't know that they needed to be asked because God had already described this land as being absolutely amazing, but along the lines of what God was trying to do with these spies, encouraging the people, they're good questions. In fact, bring back some evidence of just how good this land is. But Moses had no business asking the bad questions. Are they strong or are they weak? Are they big or are they small? Are the towns fortified? Can they defend themselves or not? These were foolish questions because God was the one who was in control of all these things. Not Moses, not Israel. God is the one who had given them victory. In fact, two amazing victories on the way out of Egypt conquered the Egyptian army, and these people had no military training whatsoever, and there wasn't a person among them that knew about battle strategy, and yet God had given them victory over the single most strong army on the face of the earth, the Egyptians. And you might recall when they reached Rephidim, we actually had a lesson around it. They were attacked by the Amalekites. And they won only because Moses has held his hands up because when they went down, they'd start to lose. Tell me that you need to be a great soldier or an amazing general in order to win a victory when God hands them to you like that. Moses wasn't asking these men the right questions. And not only does that breed fear for them, but fear for the people, and it certainly bred fear in Moses' heart. Which leads me to ask you a question, and hopefully it's a good one, because 
this lesson wouldn't mean much unless we considered our own turning points in life. But do we find ourselves often being motivated by fear or by faith in the God who loves us so very much? I know if, if you're yearning for the things I am, you want a better marriage. You, you want happy families. You want to have success in school or in your career. And not just be a job, but something where you actually make a difference in other people's lives. Let's be honest, we would all prefer to have a successful life than one where we're constantly scratching and clawing to find even the least little bit of enjoyment and success. These are the things that God created us for and are wired deeply within us. So how do we get to them? And how do we avoid allowing fear to keep us from them? Well, if you think about it, how many things in your life have you aspired to do how many maybe even big and great things that you had hoped you could accomplish? And when you look back at it, your regrets are the fact that you let one thing stand in the way, and that was fear. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes fear can be healthy. Uh, if you're around poisonous snakes, I'm not telling you to grab one and become a snake handler or do something foolish. There is that side of fear that is used to protect us. But more often than not, we use it as an excuse or something to hide behind, and we don't live up to our potential, the potential for which God created us for, and the roles and activities in this life which would not only enhance our existence, but would be a, truly a blessing to others. Think of those times that you needed to have a hard conversation with somebody, somebody you loved, somebody you worked with, and all you wanted to do was have an honest discussion that hopefully would improve your relationship, or maybe the job they were doing, or the job you were doing, but you were too afraid to talk. Think of all the times that you've wanted to make big plans, maybe about your home, your future, your vacations, and you thought, well, that's too far out of my reach. And maybe you've done the math, and maybe you've done your own strategizing, but at what point do we leave God out of this equation and go, wait a minute, these goals are not up to me. These goals are really ultimately up to God. But the one thing that kept you from believing that, from trusting that, was fear. These are the kind of things that actually, hopefully, cause us to ask the best question of all. Since God himself has taken care of the two biggest fears in this world, sin and death, and he's taken care of them beautifully, perfectly, he's taken them out of the sphere of us needing to be afraid of them, then let me ask this question. Is there anything in this world that we should really be afraid of? Is there anything in this world that the devil himself could use against us to keep us from reaching that potential for which God has created us? Is there anything that the sinful world around us should be capable of doing that actually prevents us from living up to the role in which God has given us? You see, when we let fear control our lives, we basically hand uh, the keys to our kingdom over to somebody else. But if we get on our knees and submit to the Lord and go, if you can do this then the one good question we can ask ourselves, is there anything God can't do? Not only in me, but through me. In fact, let me show you how this is supposed to work. Let me take us from the negative of fear to the very positive of faith. Because 40 years later, that next generation did come to the borders of the promised land again. Moses had his farewell speech, and he went off and he died. And Joshua was the new man in charge. And we read this. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here, listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. It's that last point. Joshua chose 12 men just like Moses chose 12 men, but it wasn't to go into the land to spy and look around. It was so that when they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, each of them was to pick up a stone so that when they got to the other side of the river, they would stack them up and it would become a monument reminding every generation that would pass this way, this way that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that if it's according to the will of God, we won't be able to do in this life. Those 12 stones stand as a monument to every generation that follows that if we want to truly be blessed in this life and live up to everything God has in store for us, it requires one good question. Is there anything that God can't do? In a world of uncertainty and doubt, faith shines through darkness the unwavering trust in something greater. It gives us courage, connects the seen with the unseen, and empowers us to overcome obstacles. Faith turns storms into opportunities and setbacks into comebacks. It refines us through trials, making us stronger and resilient. With faith, the impossible becomes possible. It fills our hearts with hope, minds with clarity, and spirits with strength. Trust in God. Embrace the journey, for it reveals miracles and realizes dreams. Hold fast to faith, because with faith, we are never alone.